Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. We're going to just open the God's Word together at this moment. So if you want to turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're in a series on the book of Corinthians. So I believe this is week number 22 in 1 Corinthians. And so we're continuing on in our series, and this is uh, the third message that we've heard in the chapter of 13. So as you're turning there, we're just going to pray, and we're going to ask for God's help in understanding His Word. So Lord Jesus, thank you so much for, God, for your gift of your, your Word to us that reveals, Lord, your heart towards us and reveals to us who you are. God, thank you so much for... Um, your, the blessing of, of, of your Holy Spirit who takes your word and applies it into our lives and, and gives us understanding and helps us to begin to live in accordance to your, to your ways. And so, Lord, we submit ourselves to you today. God, thank you so much for the incredible blessing it is to sit under your word together. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week I was terribly ill um, hopefully Andy did a good job and, uh, we, we appreciate Andy, Andy Smith. He's, he's a dear friend. He's the youth pastor over at Living Word Church. And, uh, and so I was so, gl- he was, he was going to preach here last week. We'd set this up, you know, probably a month ago. And so I didn't, I was sick. Just so happened. I, I didn't skip church. I thought about coming in in the back and kind of slipping in and slipping him out, but I didn't want to get people sick. So, um, appreciate Andy doing that for us. Um, the, I don't know if you guys saw us or not, but the the Griffith basketball team the they were in a bus trip to the semi state yesterday and they got into a terrible accident. Uh, there was no fatalities, but I just it brings to mind we just we need to just be praying for them and uh, I think everyone was everyone was okay. But it's amazing in moments like this how an accident like that will be ingrained in those young men's lives in their minds for the rest of their lives. And we need to pray that the Lord would take this tragic event in their lives and turn them towards the Lord. And so, you know, if we're going to, as we, as we pray, as we continue as a church, let's just remember that in these moments, it's so important for us to remember, you know, Lord, you are getting people's attention every way and every, in every situation. And so we have an opportunity to turn to you in these tragic times and believe, God, that you are going to continue to work in our lives. All right. So let's continue on in our... In our uh, 1 Corinthians series, I'm just going to start off with just um, the story. Former television evangelist Jim Baker. You guys remember Jim Baker? Okay. Okay. Yes, you obviously do. Speaks of events that occurred immediately after his release from prison. So if you don't know who Jim Baker is, he was a television evangelist who, who had received just a, a lot of money from people who watched his program took that money and spent it on just on the most crazy things, you know, air-conditioned dog houses and, and homes all over America, and just all kinds of stuff. Just took the money and just spent it just every which, any way he could. So he went to prison, and he came out of prison. He says, when I was transferred to my last prison, Franklin Graham said he wanted to help me out when I got out with a job, a house to live in, and a car. It was my fifth Christmas in prison. I thought it over and said, Franklin... You can't do this. It will hurt you. The Grahams don't need my baggage. 
He looked at me and he said, Jim, you were my friend in the past and you are my friend now. If anyone doesn't like it, I'm looking for a fight. So when I got out of prison, the Graham sponsored me and paid for a house for me to live in and gave me a car to drive. The first Sunday out, Ruth Graham, this is Billy Graham's wife, called the halfway house I was living in at the Salvation Army and asked permission for me to go to the, the Montreat Presbyterian Church with her that Sunday morning. When I got there, the pastor welcomed me and sat me with the Graham family. There were, there were like two whole rows of them. I think every Graham aunt and uncle and cousin were there. The organ began playing and the place was full except for a seat next to me. Then the doors opened and in walked Ruth Graham. She walked down the aisle and sat next to inmate 07407. I had only been out of prison 48 hours, but she told the world that morning that Jim Baker was her friend. Afterward, she had me up to their cabin for dinner. And when she asked me for some addresses, I pulled out this envelope out of my pocket to look for them. In prison, you're not allowed to have a wallet, so you just carry an envelope. She asked, don't you have a wallet? And I said, well, yeah, this is my wallet. After five years of brainwashing in prison, you think an envelope is a wallet. She walked into her other room and came back and said, here's one of Billy's wallets. He doesn't need it. You can have it. And I think for us, as we consider what love looks like, and the kind of love that the Apostle Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 He's talking about a love that's not necessarily just a feeling. And oftentimes we think about love as this feeling, this, these emotions that we have. And the kind of love that the Apostle Paul is talking about is, is an agape love. An agape love is, is, is more than feelings, and it's, it's an others-centered concern. It's looking towards the other person and where they're at and what their needs are. And it's a concern for them whether we feel like love or not. And it's expressed at a great personal cost. There came a cost to Ruth Graham befriending an ex-convict, especially one who had swindled Christians all across America and across the world of all their money, spending on his lavish, foolish things. It came a cost. But it's an others-centered concern, expressed at great personal cost. Now, Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read the whole chapter again because this is, in context, it's a beautiful picture of love. Verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, endures all things. Verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. 
For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Amen. So the Apostle Paul begins in, cha- in, in, in this chapter in verse 8, and we're looking at verses 8 through 13 today. He begins in verse 8 by really contrasting the, the temporary versus the eternal. The temporary versus the eternal. It says, love never ends. It never goes away. doesn't disintegrate. Doesn't, it's not biodegradable. It never ends. And for the Corinthian church, if, if, if you remember going back to some of the beginning chapters in 1 Corinthians, they had an awful lot of spiritual gifts taking place in their church. As a matter of fact, in the very first chapter of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, look, you've been blessed with all kinds of spiritual gifts here in the church. And it's an unbelievable thing because this is like a hallmark of your church is the, spirit, the supernatural spiritual giftings of God in your midst. And it's an awesome thing to see take place. But now he begins to contrast the temporary versus the eternal. It says, what do we value more? And as we look through the book of 1 Corinthians, what is the value that the church has? It's on the temporary. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this book altogether. They had valued the temporary in the church to the neglect of the eternal. Saying, look, love is eternal. It never goes away. These gifts, as good as they are, and as important as they are, and as, as, as valuable as they are to the ministry of the church and to care for one another, they're only temporary. And so he's bringing the church back to an eternal perspective, okay? Back to an eternal perspective. We do this in our lives, and I do this all the time. Begin to value what's, what's temporary over and above what's eternal. I went and visited uh, Saddleback Church. If you're familiar with Saddleback Church, it's Rick Warren's church. It's in Southern California, Orange County, California. It's beautiful. It's, it's a, just a, a beautiful area of the country. But it's, just, it's a mega church. It's, it's probably one of the top five or ten largest churches in America. And visiting this church, going to a, a youth ministry conference there, I remember just going through this church, and, and one whole wall of the church sanctuary was all floor-to-ceiling glass, and etched in the glass is the, you know, the five, the Rick Warren's kind of five purposes of ministry, and, and then later walking through and seeing this huge, massive children's playgrounds, and you're walking up these steps, and in between, you know, like some of these steps, there's actually waterfalls going down, and and then as I'm eating, I look over and there's hummingbirds flying around in the, in the church. And I'm like, they've got waterfalls and hummingbirds at this church. This is unbelievable. Now, I've got nothing against Saddleback Church. It's a good church. It's, it's, it's making an impact. It's, it's, it's fantastic. But I left there thinking to myself, man, that church is so amazing because there's hummingbirds, right? 
I can't believe they've got waterfalls in the church. What church has got waterfalls in it? And I begin to value the temporary things. I begin to think, you know, what makes this church so amazing is, is the, you know, what's going on outside the church. And I'm impressed with, with the temporary. We so often do this in, in just different ways. What, what's, your church, what's your church like? How many people go to your church? Um, how well behaved are your children? So it's not just related to church, but how well behaved are your kids, right? Are they, do, do, they, do my children embarrass me? Are they disobedient in public? And now I feel bad. And, and so we begin to put stock in things. It's, um, children's obedience is important. You know, having, having nice facilities, that's great. But do we walk away thinking the things that are temporary, the things that are going to pass away, are what are, is most important? That's the challenge for us, valuing what God values, putting our emphasis on the eternal rather than the temporary. So for the apostle Paul, he's saying, look, I want to reorientate our thinking. What's most important for us as a church and what's most important for you is in, in, in Corinth there is not that you've got all the gifts happening, as good and amazing as that is. I want to celebrate that, but at the same time, remember, these are only temporary things. Keep your eyes on the eternal. Love, that's eternal. That's not going to pass away. That's not going to go away. Keep your eyes on what is eternal. He moves on and then verses 9 through 10. And in verses 9 through 10, he begins to talk about the, the finality of the gifts. That the gifts one day will pass away. The gifts one day, as good as they are and as important as they are, they will pass away. They, they point to something greater than themselves. They're not an end in and of themselves. They point to something greater than themselves. So think about this. When you find out, when someone comes to you and says, oh, I just got engaged, what's the first question that we ask that person? When's the wedding, Right? Exactly. When are you getting married? Because the engagement is, is pointing to something greater than itself. The engagement isn't an end in and of itself. It's only, a temporary, it's only a temporary thing. It's only a temporary arrangement. It's pointing to something greater than itself. It's saying one day there's going to be a wedding. There's going to be a marriage. This engagement has an expiration date. There's a wedding in sight, and we're going to move on, and things are going to change. In the same way with the gifts. The gifts point us to Jesus. The gifts are helpful and useful in ministering to one another and caring for one another because they help to point us back to Jesus. We can see Jesus in the use of the gifts. But they're not an end in and of themselves. They will pass away. They will go away. But the love of God towards us in Jesus Christ, that will never, ever end. That is our hope. The gifts will pass away one day, but love will never pass away. See, one day Jesus Christ will return in glory. One day he will come back. We don't, we don't talk about that enough. I don't think about that enough. One day Jesus Christ will return. And at that day, 
the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, those things will pass away. We won't, we won't need those things anymore because we've got the real thing in sitting in front of us. One day we will see Jesus face to face. We won't need prophecy anymore. We won't need tongues anymore. We won't need healing anymore. Because he will wipe away all our tears, heal all our pain, make everything right again. That's our hope that we have in Jesus. So those things only point us to Jesus, but they point us to a greater reality. He will come back one day. Victorious, triumphant. The whole earth will see him. We'll all bow before him in worship and in, in glorifying his name. Even the most hardened atheists who refuse to believe in the Lord will bow before his throne, declare him as the Lord. One day that will take place. And then when that happens, the gifts will cease. We don't need them any longer because we've got the real thing in front of us. Verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. What does a child think about? What's, what's their main concern, or who do they think about, primarily? Themselves, right? I mean, that's the only thing on their mind. It's food in themselves, and how am I going to get food to myself, right? That's what children think about all the time. We'd, Michelle and I did this, this thing where the kids would, after dinner, we'd, if we had dessert, we'd, okay, who wants, who's going to get the dessert first, right? And... Sometimes the kids are like, me, 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 you know. So we say, well, the first shall be last. So, you know, you're going to go last, and the last will be first. So, they, you know, the younger kids who weren't quite as quick would, you know, completely taking that verse out of context. I understand that, right? <laughs> That's not what he's, he's not getting at, like, who gets ice cream first and that kind of stuff. So I understand that. I know that, okay? Um, but the thing is, the kids, would, the kids learn, well, if that's what's going to happen, then I'm going to go last. So they're fighting over who's going to go last, <laughs> right? I mean, their primary concern is still for who? For themselves, right? It's for themselves. <laughs> I want to read this quote real quick by Leon Morris. He says this, Paul does not mean simply that childish things passed away with the passing of time. His choice of verb indicates a determination on his part that he would not be ruled by childish attitudes. The tense is perfect, which shows that he put away childish things with decision and finality. With decision and finality. The Apostle Paul is talking about deciding to put away the childish ways of thinking in our lives. I want to show a couple of pictures from India. And I don't know if you can read this, but it says the inauguration of the tailoring center, the Hope Center. Thank you, Mercy Hill Church. And there's four sewing machines there, okay? A year ago, we had a gentleman, Francis, from India here. And Francis runs different uh, ministries in Karnataka in India, and we, had, we sent a team to visit Francis and a and, uh, missions trip to, with Francis in India last year. And we were able to provide resources to, to purchase 
sewing machines for women who are caught in temple prostitution, who had no hope. Their husband had died and they had, they had no skills. There's no hope for them. There isn't this vast welfare system or disabil- you know, unemployment or disability. Or, they don't have any of that stuff. So you're, you're, in, you're in a world of trouble. You're in a world of trouble if, if your husband passes away or if you're, if you're stuck in temple prostitution because if you, if you leave that, there's no future for you. You don't have any skills. You probably didn't go to school. What are you going to do? And so what Francis does is Francis takes women out of these temple prostitution lifestyles where they're caught in that, and he brings them out and he teaches them to sew, gives them a trade. And then he gives them a microloan so they can purchase a sewing machine so they can make an income for their families, for their children. It's a beautiful thing. Well, Mercy Hill Church, a year ago, we, took, we gave an offering and we were able to purchase 10 sewing machines for the women in India. And I thought, that is a picture of this kind of love. We've never... We've never met these women before. We'll probably never meet these women until we get to heaven. The, but the, the, the church, the, the families here at Mercy Hill gave sacrificially so that people they never met would have an opportunity to escape a life of prostitution and provide an income for their family and for their kids. I think that is a kind of love that chooses to not just think of myself like, what can I do with this money? I'm going to give it to people I don't know. I'm going to help people I've never met or will I ever meet. That's the kind of love, the kind of decision that the Apostle Paul's talking about. Look, I put away these things. I used to think about myself primarily, only. It's about me, about my needs, what I can do, what I want. He says, I put those things aside. I've made a decision to love. And I think it's a beautiful picture. I, I just got these, I got these slides. I got an email from Francis just a, a week or two ago. So this, this is fresh off the press. This is, just, this is happening now as we speak. It's a brand new tailoring center that opened. So praise God. Thank you for giving sacrificially. Thank you. Making an impact in, a, in, a ch- in women and children's lives all over the world. Praise God for that. Thank you, Jesus. Love is a choice. Not just a feeling. Love is a choice. Verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I, even I, as I have been fully known. So Apostle Paul begins to bring in a, an, an illustration from present day Corinth. As they were talking uh, in Corinth, they were known for making mirrors. Now, the kind of mirrors that the, they made in the first century were not the kind of mirrors that we have today. The kind of mirrors that they had in the first century were poly, highly polished metal. So mirrors that we, we know of today, like a you know, crystal clear uh, reflection that, that came about in the 13th century, not in the 1st century. And so looking through this high, piece of highly polished metal, it was very, it was dim, it wasn't very good, it, it, it was, you could sort of see. And so for us, 
it wouldn't necessarily be this image of a, you know, highly polished piece of metal. It would be something like a low-resolution YouTube video. So I'm going to just... So this is what, something similar with the Apostle Paul's, look, I see in a mirror dimly, I see a YouTube video dimly. It's pixelated, it's low resolution, right? So what is that video of? I don't know, you have to ask Cameron, he made it for me, so thank you Cameron. (laughs) But he says that one day, we will see face to face. One day we will see face to face. One day it will be high definition. It's, 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 in a, it's in a mirror dimly. It's in a, a YouTube video pixelated and out of, out of focus. But then face to face, at Jesus' return, we will know face to face, even as we have been fully known. Now, that's the good news, and I appreciate Jason sharing with us this morning this, this understanding of God's love towards us. Because the reality is God doesn't love us just because what he sees is good. As in, hey, I put a good mask on, I've, I've gone to church, I've done some good things, and now God sees that and he loves me. Apostle Paul says, no, look, as I have been fully known, God knows us completely. All the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, God knows all of it. Sees every part of our hearts and our lives, not just the external things that we do, but the internal our motivations, our desires, and all the things that are inside of us that so often we want to keep hidden because it's, it's dark and it's ugly and it's broken. God sees that. And God loves us. God loves us this way. What kind of love does God love us with? The very kind of love that we've been reading about here in 1 Corinthians 13. See, we read this and automatically think, well, Maybe that's something my spouse can give to me. Maybe that's the kind of love that I want from another person. Or the kind of love that I want to give to my kids or whatever. Look, there's no person on earth who can fully do this, love us this way ever. If we expect this from our spouse or to get this from our kids or anything, we will be sorely disappointed because there's only one person who's loved this way, who's been able to love other people this way, and it's Jesus Christ. It's not our spouse, it's not a friend, it's not our our moms and dads, it's not our children. It's only in Jesus Christ who's been able to fully and completely love other people this way. And so if we put our stock and our hope into people to love us this way, we will be disappointed. And guess what? The good news is is that the, the love that we've received is great and as magnificent as it is in Jesus Christ and in the the ministry of his, of his love and mercy towards us, it's just still a dim picture of what he has in store for us. That one day we will see him face to face. That one day we will be fully known before him and we will ex- receive his love and his mercy in full measure like we've never experienced before. That day is coming. It may be good now, but one day, but one day, We will see him face to face. Our relationship with God right now is a bit like apple pie. Now, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, my mom would make homemade apple pie, and it's the best apple pie you've ever eaten. And what she would do is she'd peel all the apples, slice them up, and then put them in like the cinnamon and sugar 
stuff. And these apples, these sliced apples, I'd walk over and I'd start just pounding these apples in this thing because it was, I'm like, man, this is so good. I can eat these apples all day long. I can eat buckets of these things. And she said, no, 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 don't, don't eat. I got to save those for the pie. Because as good as that was, and as delicious and tasty as that was, as, as much as I enjoyed that, there was a pie coming. And that pie was way better than those apples. As good as those apples were, that hot apple pie out of the oven, man, with a flaky, buttery crust, with the sugar, with everything on there. I know everyone's starving right now. <laughs> and that smell of the apple pie fills the house, and you put some ice cream on there, and you're like, man, this is what I've been waiting for. It's like that. The experiences that we have right now in our lives with Jesus Christ is good as amazing as they are. He says, one day, there's apple pie coming, and you have no idea how amazing and life-changing it is. And I, I love this because the one thing the Apostle Paul does for the Corinthian church over and over and over again is that in all of their mess, in all of their brokenness, in all of the ways in which they have stabbed each other in the back, in all of the ways in which they have sinned against one another, in all the ways in which they had forgotten God and gone after their own pursuits and what was important to them, and what they wanted to do most, the Apostle Paul doesn't come to and say, look guys, look, if you sue each other, you, we really need to work on some better litigation processes, and if you're going to you know, take communion and you guys are going to get drunk and you're not going to share any food with someone else, we just need to start making some more food and so everyone has an, you know. What he does over and over and over again is this, is he continues to bring them back to Jesus Christ. He says, this is the good news of Jesus Christ, that we have a Savior who's forgiven us of our sins, who's loved us completely, who's made a way for us, who's called us by name, who's loved us fully. And now we, we can rest and trust in who Jesus Christ is. We don't have to fight. We don't have to labor. We have to try harder, work longer hours. He says, no, no, no. That's been complete. That has been complete in Jesus Christ. That is what the Apostle Paul does over and over and over again. I want to encourage us as we close. We rest in who Jesus Christ is. We don't demand that we receive this kind of love from other people because we will always be disappointed. We look to Jesus and in his perfect love towards us to receive that kind of love in our lives. We, we love one another out of a place of being loved. We love one another out of a place of being, being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that frees us. It frees us to love other people without any strings attached Without, any, without making demands of other people, without setting unrealistic expectations of people, we can love that way. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the gift of love, for the gift of life. Jesus, thank you that you have loved us completely and fully. And Jesus, one day we recognize that we will see you face to face. Jesus, that one day you will wipe away every tear. 
You will heal all of our brokenness and that our life is dependent upon you. So Lord, I pray we would receive this love. Lord, I pray that we would, God, recognize who we are before you and that we would be able to love you in response and love other people freely and generously. In your name I pray, amen.